Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sound at Heart podcast. Joining me today is someone who I hope you know, uh, and if you don't, I'm really excited to let you get to know him. Uh, this is Wade Weber. He's the head coach of Tacoma Defiance. Uh, he's been involved with the Sounders for uh, with the with the organ this current organization at least since what 2015 2016. 2016 as a coach, I was a broadcaster from oh that's right 2012 uh, until this year. I, I have stepped away from the broadcasts. So Are you no officially. Long- yeah, I, I have. Uh, I, I can only be used in an emergency. I I told them. Okay. Um, I, yeah, which is it, it. It was getting harder and harder to squeeze that in. But yeah, it's been the better part of a decade. And then before, and then and before that, you played for the USL Sounders, and you're of course a local uh, product. You grew up in Federal Way, and this is where I want to start because I think this is maybe. An old, like one of those perfect only in America type of stories. You were a high school teacher, uh, both before and after your MLS career. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, you know, it, it, it all goes back to when I graduated college in 1989. Um, uh, that there just were, there were no serious options. That I got my first professional contract in 1990 was with the FC Seattle. Uh, franchise. Um, and that was for a uh, thousand bucks a month. Um, and that was for uh, uh, six months. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was married in 1990. Um, I asked if, could you spread that out over a longer period of time? And they did. <laughs> so I actually got less than that per month, but I got paid 12 months a year. Um, and then that died in 1991. They, they, the team folded, you know, I, um, my, my, my wife was pregnant and it's like, I got to get a real job. I can't, there was no, nowhere to go. It's not like it is now with layers of American pro soccer and teams in every state sort of thing. So, uh, I had a degree in history and psychology. I went to Seattle university, got a master's in teaching, graduated in 93, got a job. The only job I could find because I couldn't get a social studies endorsement. I needed like geography classes or something I didn't take in college. What, what, so I could only teach history or psychology. And uh, the job I got was in Cedro Woolley, Washington, hyphenated city, uh, the, the town that I-5 missed. It's kind of- I was gonna say, I've never heard of this city. Yeah, it's north of Mount Vernon, north end, a little bit east, uh, logging town, or it was back in the day. Um, yeah, I, I taught there for one year. I was their boys soccer coach in the spring of 94. And uh, the Sounders started that year. And 
I was 27. And so, I, you know, I always kind of knew that I had, I had the ability to teach. I loved soccer. Teaching was a job. Um, and so, yeah, I, I played, um, I tried to stay fit. And, uh, and then when the Sounders started, I, I uh, was signed and played for three years for Seattle, three years in MLS, hurt myself in that last year. I was in my thirties and I retired from Miami and came home to teach again, which I did so for a decade. And you taught at, in, uh, where did you teach again? Thomas Jefferson High School in Federal Way, Washington. It's my alma mater. It's my wife's alma mater. Um, so it was kind of in the, in the blood, as they say. I taught history uh, in the International Baccalaureate program as well, which, um, which I quite enjoyed. Um, you, you know, you, the, you teach a general history class and you're, you're, you're dealing with um, that sort of like when one imagines what, what would it be like to be a teacher? You imagine a classroom full of eager and engaged students that, are, that wanna be there and are, and are really interested in history and um, that's <laughs> that might exist in a movie somewhere, but that that's not the reality. Which, frankly, I was naive because that wasn't the reality when I went to school. When I was in school, you know, I, I wasn't always active or engaged. I can I can admit now as if as a guy that qualifies for AARP. <laughs> So how do you think that the like you were and I think it's it's also maybe not quite as uh, I, as as an educated person you will hate me saying quite as unique but uh, it's not it's not quite as uh, as as odd I suppose to have been doing something between your playing career and your coaching career but there aren't a lot of people who get into coaching from uh, being a, a, a teacher. Uh, like a real, like a, 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 an in-school teacher. And I have to imagine there's a lot of overlap and it must give you some unique perspective, especially uh, at the younger levels where you've, you've done most of your coaching either through defiance or at the academy level. Yeah. And then even before that, I worked for um, seven years at Washington premier football club in Puyallup. Um, uh, the, the, you know, the pedagogy that's associated with learning or the, just the, the, the idea of learning, the concept, how, how it works. Um, it doesn't matter the subject. It really doesn't. You know, you, you um, back in the day, we called it the anticipatory set, the thing that uh, you, the students get when they first enter a room. And that's the thing that triggers them. So they're ready for the lesson of the day um, checks for understanding um, the ability to communicate objectives, clearly to have a plan, um, the importance of assessment, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a big thing. You know, when you're evaluating a player or a student, um, you ultimately they're going to receive a grade at the end of the year that's based on, you know, uh, uh, standards that maybe have been set by the state or in the international baccalaureate world. I hope we're not getting too far off subject, but, you know, they're, they're established by some external entity. It, it's harder in soccer. So we have to sort of devise our own. There isn't a FIFA mandated curriculum, um, but you need to have a curriculum. You know, um, if you want to develop players over time, it, there has to be a method and it's intentional, focused, small steps. The learning is built on previous learning. There's frequent checks for understanding and all games wind up being our forms of assessment. 
um, how how well are we achieving the targets that um, that we're establishing? Uh, and that could be something as simple as um, you know completed passes, um, box entries. If we're looking at the team's performance, because again, separating that's the difference. I would assume uh, I haven't thought about it deeply, but a difference that jumps out at me is that in a school you're assessing individuals, you're not assessing the collective, and in a team. It is all about the collective. You know, the individuals within it are are um, are very important. But you know, at Brian Schmetzer's level, all that matters is that the team wins. If they play poorly and the team wins, that's okay. They can work on things. For us, um, you know, it really is all all that matters are the individuals. But if the collective doesn't play well, it's much harder for the individuals to succeed. So. I, I don't know if I've taken that in directions that you didn't intend it, but um, yeah, I think you, you took it in fascinating directions that I, <laughs> that's why I wanted to talk to you is I was hoping we would go into fascinating directions. All right. Uh, but you know, last year you led the defiance to their best season since their first season in 2015. Did you took over a team that had been struggling with on-field results? Uh, I think you could maybe argue that they'd been still accomplishing a lot of the goals that the organization had set up for them, which was really uh, creating individual players to graduate to the first team. But last year we, we did seem to see, see a big step forward. What kind of changes do you feel like you implemented last year and how effective did you feel, even though you, you ultimately missed out on the playoffs, you, you know, it was the last you, you, every game last season mattered, which was, I think a pretty massive step forward. Yeah, that in a, in simple terms, we wanted that to be the case. We we wanted every game to be important. We would love for the last game not to have mattered because we had already qualified. But, um, but uh, you know, I if if I if I were to claim much credit for the for for changes or things I did differently, I think I'd be being disingenuous. The uh, John Hutchinson and Chris Little were both tremendous coaches. Um, who dealt with usually a younger team. Like they had to play a lot of younger players. Those players were more mature when I got them, more experienced, more capable of competing at the USL level. And one of the significant differences between last year and previous years was we signed a lot more players. We had more players signed directly to Defiance because of the pandemic. We didn't know if we'd be able to uh, play down an Ethan Doubleair or a you know, um, uh, Alfonso or fill in the blank. There's a number of young guys that, that we hoped we would get access to, but the pandemic made it difficult um, in 2020. So in going into 21, the idea was let's, let's, let's make sure we're pandemic proof. And we brought in five, we targeted, you know, these five individuals and I, I'd say all of them hit to a, to a certain extent they were all um, kind of second chance. They'd had opportunities elsewhere. Guys like Carlos Anguiano, who had been at Portland, Tom Bruett came over from England. Gary Lewis, the former academy director for the Sounders, who's now Red Bulls two head coach. He worked with Gary in Liverpool um, as, as a young man, knew the family. So he vouched for him. He also knew Issa Ryan, who was at Philadelphia Union too. And they pulled the plug on their season. So he was available um, I'm, I'm Randy Mendoza, who, again, we, um, he does MMA in the off season. Like that's his relaxation. Some people go to the beach. 
he doesn't, I guess. Randy goes to the octagon. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, the, the Sam guys and Denren, we I think, is probably and, the other and one. And Sam, yes. Yeah, and Sam's the fifth one who had bounced around European lower levels. And, and we brought those five in, and they were all mature and had experience. And like Chris and Hutch never had that opportunity to work with those guys. So, um, we had so many guys, we had to send Soda Kitahara on loan to Austria and uh, Azrael Gonzalez to Edmonton. Al- Alfonso went with Soda to Austria as well. So, you know, it, it wound up, we were able to do more player mo- uh, movement. Um, I also was just really, uh, the, the staff that I work with, I have the, um, I have six people that are sort of with me on, on the development, uh, on the defiance specific side. Um, you know, a, a medical, a strength uh, and performance, a, uh, a two assistant coaches, one of whom sort of doubles as a goalkeeper coach, a equipment guy, an admin, uh, an analyst. All of them are, in, in my opinion, MLS level. They're all really, really good. So it was just a, um, I inherited a, a group that had been formed by Chris. And um, I would say we lived up to expectations. We expected to be competitive and we lived up to those expectations. And were it not for an extended losing streak, we probably would have qualified for the playoffs and who knows what happens. You know, if we, we only won two road games, um, but that's one more than they won in any of the previous four seasons. So yeah, we, we won one road game in 2017, 18, 19, no, 18, 19, yeah, 17, 18, 19, 20. Four straight years, we won a single road game. So we doubled it, and we thought we could get more, but, you know, came up short. So yeah. that's still yeah. – that. And, and for me, the, the experience in the USL of playing on the road for young guys is uh, – it's the most valuable thing. Um, the, the crowds are hostile. They're lubricated with alcohol. Um, it's – it, 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 there's an element almost of danger, you know, it's not a sanitized huge NFL stadium that, you know, you're in Phoenix in a pop-up stadium and the crowded smoke bombs and they're right there on top of you. <laughs> and they Wikipedia is a funny thing, you know, or, or the internet offers all sorts of information. So they're yelling at players and <laughs> uh, bring, bringing up fat. They've done it to me. You know, they, 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 uh, they, accused me of shopping at certain low budget stores to, to get my suits. Uh, was, I mean, it was, it was good. That, that one was in Oakland. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. I hope that was a men's warehouse joke. I hope that's because that's an Oakland. Isn't that an Oakland company? I, yeah. Yeah, it was. I don't know if men's warehouse is low budget, but I know they, they, uh, they claimed to be where I got company. my wedding suit. I'll admit. Well, there you go. There you go. That's uh, right. Exactly. Uh, So uh, in addition to not having uh, many players coming down from uh, the MLS, from the Sounders, you all, I think last year was the first time you didn't have to use any unsigned Academy players either, uh, which I thought was a, and and that was, and if you can maybe speak to the, I don't know if that's a change in philosophy or that was simply a, uh, a thing that was a COVID decision, but you had a lot of young kids signed directly to the team. Uh, but like I said, I don't think you had even a, I don't, I, I looked this up recently. I don't think you had a single minute for an unsigned player. Yeah. The, um, 
That's technically not true because Cody Baker played a little bit in the beginning of the season before we signed him and and then we signed him, but that's, that's good research. Um, And it is the first time. And that is simply a function of having too many players. Um, Had we had a roster as Hutch had back in 2018, where I think he had 12 signed guys and Mm -hmm. four of them were consistently hurt. Um, we, we had to bring in all sorts of academy players. And that happened to be when the academy were having their runs to win the national championship. Um, so we didn't have access to the top end of the academy. We had access to the players who didn't necessarily make those, um, those rosters. So, um, and you were losing still can... players to the academy for some of those games, yeah. if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, not, yeah, just, no. not just academy. You were losing players that you had signed. Uh, to those yeah, yeah. They, they would bring Ezreal Gonzalez in and Alfonso and and so Danny, the ro- yeah the rosters that we had had to be populated by you know just a different type of player so last year we, it was pretty much our roster and there was movement uh, AB Sissoko played five games Danny Leva probably approximately the same Atencio played two got red carded in one I'll throw that in there that Andrew Thomas I guess technically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and we, and a- Andrew Thomas was wonderful, but we, for the first time signed a goalkeeper directly to the second team um, prior to that, because we didn't know if we'd have access to first team goalkeepers and Trey Muse had been loaned to San Antonio. So um, yeah, we hope like I, 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 I didn't like the fact that we couldn't play a couple of Academy kids extended minutes. Now, having said that Cody Baker was, a 2004, Juan Alvarez, a 2004. They were still Academy eligible. In fact, they went to play for the Academy in the playoffs last year. Um, again, we had so many players, we could afford to lose a couple and it didn't affect our roster size. Um, we had 05s signed, Obed and um, uh, Reed, Reed was signed to the first team even at, at, at that point, you know, signed early last season. So there's a lot of Academy age players that were in the first team or in our group. And um, so when I say we didn't get a chance to play the Academy guys, I think um, we still played Academy guys a lot. If you look at Obed um, or Reed uh, guys that were age eligible, um, we did Cody and Juan as well. Um, But I don't think that long-term and I know now in the MLS next pro um, world, we're, we're going to look to do more of that. Um, our roster's not as big this year because there will be um, player movement. Um, and I think a much more coordinated Craig Weibel, sporting director, has, has uh, really made it a, a point that he wants to make sure that we don't have guys sitting on the bench for the first team, not getting minutes who would benefit from 90 with us. Um, and that really is not across the board. You know, I don't expect um, Nico or Raul to drop in with us, but, you know, uh, Sam and Denneran, any 98 or younger, um, you know, AB is a 99. It's interesting. I, my wife, anytime I, I use a birth year like that, she always looks at me blankly and says, you, you, you got to do the math for me, you know, but <laughs> That's how we we uh, we refer to players by those age um, de- descriptors and and uh, 
you know, 98 makes you 24 at some point this year. So really it's, it, it's those guys. And the only, the only two 98s, I think, um, signed to the first team. I don't, Andrew Thomas might also be one. It's Jackson. But, um, it's Jackson and Sam. Mm-hmm. Jackson and Sam. And Jackson is, is working his way into uh, more consideration. I think they've been pleased with his preseason. I love the guy. Um, I think he's a, he's a big, big prospect. And I know 24 is, is not prospect age, but as a center back, you've got hopefully a lengthy career. Um, it takes a little longer to, to learn the, the nuances because it's, it, it is more challenging. Every striker I've ever played with thinks it's just so easy to be a center back, but what they don't realize is that any mistake is punished uh, at, at that end of the field because a striker can make a million mistakes. They score one goal, they get carried off the field because they've won the game. That, that is why we attend games to see goals. I'm hoping. Yeah. I think it's really uh, unfortunate to talk about Will Bruin like that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, joking we, aside, yeah. uh, you know, he, uh, not he, uh, one of the big changes, the big change this year is the move from USL championship to MLS next pro. I know there was some, I don't, I don't want to, I've heard disagreement from various circles about whether or not this is a good move uh, developmentally. I, I assume you see some pluses to this. What, where do you fall in terms of, uh, of how MLS next pro will translate in terms of, uh, building towards the first team. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the USL championship is, uh, is, uh, as I had said earlier, is, is a competition that I think we benefited from. I think our guys, our young guys playing in that, um, competition against former MLS players, against players who are maybe just on the fringe, some players who could make MLS rosters, but they frankly get paid just as much to be the starter rather than sit on a bench somewhere. Um, I think that that element was beneficial. And I, and I, I think the jury's out on, you know, what the overall level will be in MLS next pro this year, this season. But what I will say is it's allowed the club to, to it's, it's allowed um, the league to take control over something as simple as the schedule. And I'll give you an example of why that's important. We have 24 games that this year, almost all of them are on a weekend. Uh, I don't think we have only one midweek game uh, that will create an element of fixture congestion where you, you're just recovering and, and uh, to get ready for the next game. You're not teaching. Every one of our games, other than that one fixture congestion week, is um, a four or five day lead in where we can emphasize a topic, full training, no, nothing modified. Um, that will be physically far better for the players because they will, will really be able to make sure that they're, they're, they're ready on game day. Um, and it will be from a, just an educational perspective, significantly better. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of more, um, more class hours, you know, in, in, in the school sense. Uh, we have them for more time. We can spend more time on video. We, we've, we don't have to feel like the days are so packed. We plan a Wednesday, we plan a Saturday that those, those Thursday, Friday, you know, you're trying to prepare for Saturday, but you haven't even processed Wednesday. So that 
the, the learning gets kind of lost in the shuffle in those things. So from that perspective alone, this has been, this has been excellent. Um, MLS also has the ability um, and there's discussions. It's not official, but there, there could be um, international games played with teams from various leagues who are on their breaks. They come in, they bring several of their second teams um, and, and, we then get the opportunity to add additional games in a few of the, of the get, uh, we have a couple bye weeks um, and we're working through those possibilities. Um, it's also roster rules. MLS can create them. So, how, you know, how many do you have on the roster? Um, the roster size might be a little different for MLS next pro. Uh, will it be easier or harder to, um, to make, uh, changes to the 35 manner, the sort of behind the scenes admin stuff, MLS has complete control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, this year there's going to be growing pains because teams are, be- are still being established in San Jose and Vancouver and Portland. They've taken a year off or in some cases multiple years or didn't exist. You know, there's some teams that were starting from scratch. Colorado Rapids never had a second team. They used Colorado Springs as a, uh, and they, the relationship, I think, was was um, wasn't always harmonious. Now they have a second team. San Jose um, is and, another team like that. Yeah, yeah. Sa- San Jose didn't have one. Now they have one. And a lot of teams, and this is the interesting thing, are using it. Um, so you have a thirty-man MLS roster. They're taking the back ten and saying that's the bulk of our MLS mm-hmm. Next Pro team. So we are the opponents. While I say on paper might not be as good as the top USL teams. The reality is that depending on the week, somebody needs 60 minutes, a striker for, um, for Houston, a striker needs 60 minutes in, in our game. And, you know, you can question his motivation that is he really going to bleed for the shirt, you know, of the second team. Um, you can't question his quality and that then when we get a chance to play against that level of player, that's a whole different animal. That's a, you're dealing with then a, maybe an international level player uh, rather than just a good USL pro. So long-term as the, as each club finds its way, I, I think this can be a great thing. It can redefine, you know, how, how um, players get developed. You know, we could sign younger players and come and compete against, you know, again, the average level in, in the USL is pretty good, but it's not MLS. And so dealing with a team full of MLS level players, you're, you're, you're going to have to adapt quickly. And our teaching then can be kind of focused on a few individuals in addition to the collective. And um, no, I, I think it's got the potential to be great, but I know this year there's going to be some other un, unforeseen things in a brand new league. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know what to expect. Um, questions of scheduling, like, so we know when we play and where we play, but, um, you know, it will our opponents. So w- when you're scouting for an opponent, which you could do easily in the USL, because you knew who was going to play, uh, we're going to play San Jose and let's say they play Saturday night and we play Sunday in San Jose you figure the whoever doesn't play in that game uh, on Saturday is probably going to be filtered into you, which makes it sound like a reserve league. Um, but, but, and I, I know there's a lot of resistance to that, 
but the difference from that is that our training group is academy players and Tacoma Defiance players. That's who we train. Occasionally, a player may come in and join us um, for for games. And if they are going to play for us, if it's known, they'll come train with us. So it's it's not a reserve league, and you're just throwing a bunch of people out there that don't really want to be there. Um, you know, you you're we, we in in our case we have a very dedicated group of players that will train and get ready for games. And if we have to make adjustments because a couple of first team guys are coming in, uh, that's easy because they're our former guys. They're all guys. Right, right, coach. Right, right. You know, I love Will I, Bruin. I, you, you mentioned him earlier, but I, I don't think Will's going to be one that's going to be playing with us. Yeah. And, and there was, and it was a much controversy. There was a, a game a couple years ago where Will and Roman Torres both suited up for uh, defiance and, and started and Will scored. I, I Against think Sacramento. Had, that's right. Against he scored, Sacramento. he scored and assisted, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Henry Wingo got the, got the other goal. Yeah. Yes. And, it, and there was much consternation among Republic fans about how it was unfair for, yeah. for defiance to, to fill out their roster that way. Um, but, you know, that kind of stuff aside, I, you, you alluded to this. I think the biggest concern that a lot of people have and is that the, this is sort of just becomes another reserve league. The reserve league has been tried twice before by MLS. Uh, you know, the first time, I don't know what their expectations for it were. I think it was probably pretty straightforward. But the second time they launched it was like, but this isn't going to be the reserve league. Like, the you know. Yeah. And it was yeah. it was the reserve league that we knew, and there were play- and I and I think it's worth noting that some of the real things that happened uh, that reserve league was not sanctioned. It was not a sanctioned league, so it wasn't playing as an independent. It wasn't set up as an independent league. There would be literally coaches like Ezra would suit up and play. Uh, not a lot, but he <laughs> definitely played yep. for the reserve team. Uh, it was not unheard of at all. It was semi normal for coaches to suit up in the reserve league. Uh, I mean, they would sign people literally off the literally off the street to fill out numbers. Every now and then, you would you would have a situation like Ader, your Johan, what was this? Good Johnson, uh, Einer Good Johnson, yeah, yeah, he who was like an international star who happened to like for, he agreed to suit up on on a trial basis and he played, but that was that was not the norm. It was mostly like it was a lot of players who didn't want to be there. And if what I'm hearing, what you're saying is like. A, there's a lot of differences between this and a reserve league. The, like as much as there may be some broad, like image issues, like at, at the, the guts of this league are pretty dramatically different. Yeah. And I think it just, the, none of those situations that you just described will exist this year. You know, it's, we, every player is uh, registered with the Federation re- registered with ML, MLS, right. The, the league itself is, is making sure that the, the standard remains as, as high as it can possibly be. And there, um, you know, the, the, there are minimums there. Like you, you can't have more than five Academy players on your game day roster. So you can't just make this uh, amateur U19, U23 team. It, they have to be signed uh, pros. Um, so there, there are minimums and benchmarks that have to be hit. Um you know, we're, we're bringing in, um, it's, it's part of our roster um, this year. We're, we're bringing in players from Africa again, um, including, um, you know, a, a Central African Republic international, like he's played for the full national team. 
um, you know, that like that, those sort of people and characters are, are the kind that we, we, we hope we can develop into somebody that one day plays for the first team. But it, uh, this is another sort of difference, at least in terms of our observation is the every game in, in MLS next pro you're playing against another, another MLS front office, so to speak. So they're watching you against their top prospects. And you might, you know, there's a, there's a limited number of spots available every year on the first team for the Sounders. You're playing every week for a contract with another team as well. So in terms of your incentive or motivation, it should be clear. You know, we, we've seen enough young players already not get signed to the first team. Um, or in the case of a Victor Mansere, get signed and it just doesn't work out, right? Mm-hmm. So there we want to make you ready to play pro soccer somewhere. Sam Rogers play playing in Norway now for Rosenberg, right? Sam, Sam was a good player. There wasn't a spot for him on our first team roster. They, they, they didn't sign him whether or not um, I was disappointed by that. The, that wasn't the point. The point was we're trying to get Sam ready to be a pro mm-hmm. and being a pro means sometimes you don't get to play in your hometown. Sometimes you've got to, go somewhere else. And I think for Sam, he's happy as a clam. I, I, we exchanged a couple of WhatsApp messages and um, he's really excited by the prospect. So, you know, that's, that's part of our process is pushing guys up. doesn't matter if they land on our first team. We just want them to land somewhere. Yeah. And I think that that's something that is easy to get lost sometimes in, in this, in this uh, universe of players is that every like it's 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 a sign of a good academy if you're producing pros that don't make it to your first team like there's a selfish part of us all like as fans that want to see every good player that comes through defiance gets a shot with the sounders before they get a shot somewhere else and ideally play here forever right but that's just not that's not really how it works that you know that henry wingo is going out to europe and playing on a europa or champions league quality team is a good sign that uh, Sam Rogers is playing for, you know, the maybe the biggest the biggest team in in Norway right now is a good sign. Uh, that, you know, like a Ray Serrano going out to Louisville this year is potentially a good sign. If uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Alex Villanueva. Villanueva, yeah, yeah, going Orange to County. I don't know where did he, he he did sign Orange right? County, Orange yeah. County. Yeah. Uh, like these are like it's a bummer that these kids may end up being good you know good enough to play somewhere but it's yeah as long as there's a fair number of these players that are also landing here uh that yeah. should be good and and it's hard to justify you, know, you look at the roster it's like well, okay so where does this player fit um i mean you might be able to argue that sam could be on the team i suppose but i don't know that it's like that's an argument right um yeah it, it's that and, and a lot of that is is uh that's not my that's i have no say in that you know it's right. not my choice i one thing that I um, I made a point of doing, and I still do it, and he's been great about it, is I asked for Brian's feedback. Schmetz, he's, you know, like, I, I got to know who he likes. Like, mm-hmm. which of these guys do you rate? That doesn't mean I don't, you know, I, I might think, well, you're missing something in this guy. I'm not going to tell him that. You know, I'm, I'm going to work on, on bringing it out of the players so that it's more evident. Because – you know, no one wants to be dictated to and told oh, you, this guy is really good. What's wrong with you? How come you can't see it? That, you know, 
there might be something wrong with me, you know, that maybe I'm not seeing it. And I'm not the guy making Brian's decisions, right? He, he has, it, it is a, a tough gig managing uh, an MLS club of the Sounders stature. It, it, he is pulled in a million directions and has a ton of decisions to make, none of which are, everyone's going to make somebody upset. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, so he's constantly um, having to make those sort of choices. But, but, you know, even Chris Heggert was an academy kid that we, we traded his homegrown rights to Charlotte. And uh, so he's another one that, you know, Jake Morris, I guess another one, Jake Morris in Columbus. It's, it's um, yeah, we're starting to get a, 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 a list of players that are playing elsewhere, which is Nick Hines is now in El Paso playing for John Hutchinson of all people. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, and it's, it's a hard thing. You know, we'd never had when I was young uh, teenagers signing pro soccer contracts. It just wasn't happening in America. You did there. You didn't have that. It's not what you did. You went to college and there wasn't a draft. I mean, that, that came in MLS, but prior to MLS, it just, you, you, Try it out somewhere, you know, you, 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 there's no internet. You got, you know, somebody, you call them on the phone. Hey, you know, what, can you help me out? And, and, and so the, the fact that we're still in the, in the infancy of um, lower level soccer. I, I mean, I look at the USL as a young, young, young league, um, even though they can trace their roots back a, a couple of decades as well. Um, it's still at the level it is. It's it's in its infancy. Teams still fold, right? Teams still go away. Um, Reno was an excellent team at the USL level, and you know, pandemic hit. They were they were done, and uh, and that um, again, it just shows how fragile lower level soccer is in in the US. Which again is another reason why Major League Soccer, being the giant of American soccer, can help help push that forward and and make it um not idiot proof you know what i mean like but that, you know you get these crazy like the vegas owner the 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 llamas on the field and elvis riding on a harley around the side you know side like, uh, yeah side bubbles there are, there are cars parked behind <clears throat> me because you for like an extra 100 bucks you get to park on the field <laughs> in the outfield right be Behind our bench, there are trucks. And but they can never do anything trucks. about the stream quality for some reason. The stream quality <laughs> in Vegas was always absolutely atrocious. Yeah. Well, I, 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 uh, I, I'm just saying that in MLS, the, the things are done in a, in a different way. Um, one thing that I, I, I'm not desperate for, but I really, really hope is that supporters come to Starfire and come back to Cheney. Um, that it, it's seen as something that, that, that you do, you know, um, that that's a glimpse at the future, but I don't think that's how you sell it really. I mean, I, I'm, I didn't have a degree in marketing, so I don't really know how to sell things, but <laughs> you're just a but, simple soccer uh, coach. Yeah, I'm just a simple soccer coach with my, uh, I don't know if you see up above me, the, uh, those are Pez um, dispensers. Oh, I did not. I did not. Yeah. Pick that and, up. Here are Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli and up there. It's Lord of the Rings. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I am just a simple soccer coach, but 
And D and D player, if you you may remember Wade from Yachtcon last year playing D and D. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, o- over there I've got my uh, my my D and D books. But um, but you know how how do you get somebody to come to any sporting event? You know there has to be some some engagement, some personal investment. Like why why would someone come and and go to a, a Rainiers game or go? I mean the Seahawks. It's you know they're the big time. So maybe that's an easy sell. But when you're talking about, you know, watching something that that is not the Seahawks or the Sounders or uh, a major sports franchise, you know, there's got to be some other reason to go. And it's finding that engagement, finding the reason to go. You know, it could be as simple as you could see the next Jackson Reagan, you could see the next Obed. But I don't know how many people are buying tickets for that. You know, um, it's again, fair enough. I think the Sounders have a great supporter base that. Um, that could get engaged. And if the team was competitive, that always helps. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if I, this is a good place to, I suppose, talk about there's going to be 10 games at Starfire and then two at Cheney. What's the, if you could just real quickly tell us the reason why so few games are at Cheney this year. Yeah. um, The simple answer is major league baseball is demanding that, infields be laser leveled um what that means i don't exactly know uh, it probably involves a laser and uh and and uh, a measuring device of some kind but the every conversion that we make to convert chini from baseball to soccer um uh, it just makes that more challenging and so there was only one window in the year um outside of our or inside of our season that that major league baseball, the Rainiers could allow such a thing to happen. And it, um, I think it's in June, but there's two games in the, in, in one week mm. that, that is our fixture congestion week. But, okay. Uh, by the way, we, we've squeezed two into Cheney. Um, we did, we didn't want to leave. I love the field, the grass, the grounds crew at Cheney, if it's not dumping rain. Um, and we've had some lovely weather over the last few years. Um, it's just it's just such a good surface, and it's a better surface than turf that you can't, you know. And the Sounders would love to play on grass if Lumen had it. I'm I'm sure they would. Every player would. Um, so you know, leaving that surface to go to uh, to the turf at Starfire is is um, is disappointing, but being at Starfire is not. You know, we we I, it's our home. It's where we've been. We're going to move to Longacres facility in a couple of years, but you know, this is, um, I, I was at all those open cup games, right. All the, all the ones in those early years, they were, they were amazing. You know, I, I, yeah, not if, just if Marcus Hammond beer, you know, but yeah, <laughs> you know, Nate Jake like all, all of these big, big moments in, in uh, Sounder Club history, that was such an intimate, not even the red card wedding, let's not go there, but the, there's an intimate association with that place and the parking. It takes a long time to get out of there. Oh, it's, a, it's a great experience. Celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and tickets are very affordable, if I remember correctly. And I think, do all the proceeds go to the Ray Foundation? Yep. Yep. Which I, again, um, I, I can't, say enough good things about the some of the decisions that this club has made in that area you know 
putting their money where their mouth is, uh, really focusing on giving back to the community, being a, being an example of what's right, of what could be right and could be done across the board for franchises, sport franchises. Um, but yeah, 100% of the proceeds are benefiting the Rave, Rave Foundation. And there's a lot of, um, they've had a lot of um, promo recently about their mini pitches that they're funding um, throughout the community, but they do a lot of other great work. Ashley and her team uh, are, are, are just... Again, it's it's um, it's something that the casual Sounder fan might not even be aware of that this organization exists within the club to basically drive forward um, soccer for all uh, as a as a fundamental concept. Yeah, I think the big thing they're doing right now is twenty six for twenty six, which is they're trying to get twenty six uh, mini pitches built around the Seattle area uh, to celebrate, uh, hopefully, the twenty twenty six World Cup. Uh, being played here uh but i i believe that is going forward regardless of the outcome of that that bid so this is actually the midpoint of the interview that i did with wade uh we decided that in the uh hope that you'll actually listen to all of this and and rather than put it in one hour and a half long episode we decided to split it into two episodes uh, the second episode, which we will air tomorrow, is going to include uh, a focus on players, uh, both the the players that the Sounders signed from the Defiance this offseason and uh, the players that the Defiance have already signed uh, for next season, so or this upcoming season, I should say. So uh, the first one, the, the first part of it is going to be Obed Vargas, Jackson Reagan, and Sam Adenarin, and then he'll uh, give a scouting report on, on the players who are going to make up the bulk of his roster uh, for the Defiance this season. Hopefully you enjoy that. And uh, yeah, you're listening to Sounder at Heart and we will catch you next time.